With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...from the bloody deed he had planned. Yet complete revenge he had, and without being the avenger. For, by a mysterious fatality, heaven itself seemed to step in and take out of his hands into its own the damning thing he would have done. It was just between daybreak and sunrise of the morning of the second day, when they were washing down the decks, that a stupid Tenerife man, drawing water in the main chains, all at once shouted out, "'There she rolls! There she rolls! Jeez you! What a whale!' It was Moby Dick. "'Moby Dick!' cried Don Sebastian. "'Saint Dominic! Sir Sailor! But do whales have christenings? Whom call you Moby Dick?' "'A very white and famous and most deadly immortal monster, Don. But that would be too long a story.' "'How! How!' cried all the young Spaniards, crowding. "'Nay, Don's, Don's, nay!' "'Nay, I cannot rehearse that now. "'Let me get more into the air, sirs.' "'The chicha, the chicha!' cried Don Pedro. "'Our vigorous friend looks faint. "'Fill up his empty glass.' "'No need, gentlemen. "'One moment, and I proceed.' "'Now, gentlemen, so suddenly perceiving the snowy whale "'within fifty yards of the ship, "'forgetful of the compact among the crew,' In the excitement of the moment, the Tenerife man had instinctively and involuntarily lifted his voice for the monster, though for some little time past it had been plainly beheld from the three sullen mastheads. All was now a frenzy. "'The white whale! The white whale!' was the cry from the captain, mates, and harpooners, who, undeterred by fearful rumors, were all anxious to capture so famous and precious a fish." while the dogged crew eyed askance, and with curses, the appalling beauty of the vast milky mass that lit up by a horizontal spangling sun shifted and glistened like a living opal in the blue morning sea. Gentlemen, a strange fatality pervades the whole career of these events, as if verily mapped out before the world itself was charted, the mutineer was the bowsman of the mate, and when fast to the fish, it was his duty to sit next to him while Radney stood up with his lance in the prow, and haul in or slacken the line at the word of command. Moreover, when the four boats were lowered, the mates got the start, and none howled more fiercely with delight than did Steelkilt as he strained at his oar. After a stiff pull, their harpooner got fast, 
and spear in hand, Radney sprang to the bow. He was always a furious man, it seems, in a boat, and now his bandaged cry was to beach him on the whale's topmost back. Nothing loath, his bowsman hauled him up and up, and through a blinding foam that blent two whitenesses together, till of a sudden the boat struck as against a sunken ledge, and, keeling over, spilled out the standing mate. That instant, as he fell on the whale's slippery back, the boat righted and was dashed aside by the swell, while Radney was tossed over into the sea, on the other flank of the whale. He struck out through the spray, and for an instant was dimly seen through that veil, wildly seeking to remove himself from the eye of Moby Dick. But the whale rushed round in a sudden maelstrom, seized the swimmer between his jaws, and rearing high up with him, plunged headlong again, and went down. Meantime, at the first tap of the boat's bottom, the lakeman had slackened the line, so as to drop astern from the whirlpool. Calmly looking on, he thought his own thoughts. But a sudden terrific downward jerking of the boat quickly brought his knife to the line. He cut it, and the whale was free. But at some distance Moby Dick rose again, and with some tatters of Radney's red woolen shirt, caught in the teeth that had destroyed him. All four boats gave chase again, but the whale eluded them, and finally wholly disappeared. In good time the town ho reached her port, a savage, solitary place, where no civilized creature resided. There, headed by the lakeman, all but five or six of the foremastmen deliberately deserted among the palms, and eventually, as it turned out, seizing a large double war-canoe of the savages, and setting sail for some other harbour. The ship's company being reduced to but a handful, the captain called upon the islanders to assist him in the laborious business of heaving down the ship to stop the leak. But to such unresting vigilance over their dangerous allies was this small band of whites necessitated, both by day and by night, and so extreme was the hard work they underwent, that upon the vessel being ready again for the sea, they were in such a weakened condition that the captain durst not put off with them in so heavy a vessel. After taking counsel with his officers, he anchored the ship as far offshore as possible, loaded and ran out his two cannon from the bows, stacked his muskets on the poop, and warning the islanders not to approach the ship at their peril, took one man with him, and setting the sail of his best whale-boat, steered straight before the wind for Tahiti, five hundred miles distant, to procure a reinforcement to his crew. On the fourth day of the sail a large canoe was descried, which seemed to have touched at a low isle of corals. He steered away from it, but the savage craft bore down on him, and soon the voice of Steelkilt hailed him to heave to, or he would run him under water. The captain presented a pistol. With one foot on each prow of the yoked war-canoes, the lakeman laughed him to scorn, assuring him that if the pistol so much as clicked in the lock, he would bury him in bubbles and foam. "'What do you want of me?' cried the captain. "'Where are you bound, and for what are you bound?' demanded Steelkilt. "'No lies!' I am bound to Tahiti for more men. Very good. Let me board you a moment. I come in peace. With that he leaped from the canoe, swam to the boat, and, climbing the gunwale, stood face to face with the captain. 
Cross your arms, sir. Throw back your head. Now repeat after me. As soon as Steelkilt leaves me, I swear to beach this boat on yonder island, and remain there six days. If I do not, may lightning strike me. A pretty scholar, laughed the lakeman. Adios, senor. And, leaping into the sea, he swam back to his comrades. Watching the boat till it was fairly beached, and drawn up to the roots of the coconut trees, Steelkilt made sail again, and in due time arrived at Tahiti, his own place of destination. There luck befriended him. Two ships were about to sail for France, and were providentially in want of precisely that number of men which the sailor headed. They embarked, and so forever got the start of their former captain, had he been at all minded to work them legal retribution. Some ten days after the French ships sailed, the whale-boat arrived, and the captain was forced to enlist some of the more civilized Tahitians, who had been somewhat used to the sea. Chartering a small native schooner, he returned with them to his vessel, and finding all right there, again resumed his cruisings. Where Steelkilt now is, gentlemen, none know, but upon the island of Nantucket, the widow of Radney still turns to the sea, which refuses to give up its dead, still in dreams sees the awful white whale that destroyed him. "'Are you through?' said Don Sebastian quietly. "'I am, Don.' "'Then I entreat you. Tell me if, to the best of your own convictions, this your story is in substance really true. It is so passing wonderful. Did you get it from an unquestionable source? Bear with me if I seem to press.' Also bear with all of us, Sir Sailor, for we all join in Don Sebastian's suit, cried the company, with exceeding interest. Is there a copy of the Holy Evangelists at the Golden Inn, gentlemen? <laughs> Nay, said Don Sebastian, but I know a worthy priest nearby, who will quickly procure one for me. I go for it, but are you well advised? This may grow too serious." Will you be so good as to bring the priest also, Don? Though there are no auto de fes in Lima now, said one of the company to another, I fear our sailor friend runs risk of the archiepiscopy. Let us withdraw more out of the moonlight. I see no need of this. Excuse me for running after you, Don Sebastian, but may I also beg that you will be particular in procuring the largest-sized evangelists you can. This is the priest, and he brings you the evangelist, said Don Sebastian gravely, returning with a tall and solemn figure. Let me remove my hat. Now, venerable priest, further into the light, and hold the holy book before me, that I may touch it. So help me heaven, and on my honor, the story I have told you, gentlemen, is in substance, and its great items, true. I know it to be true. It happened on this ball. I trod the ship. I knew the crew. I have seen and talked with Steelkilt since the death of Radney. End of chapter 54